0: Seo, Welcome to Afternoona Delight. We're Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some duckboki and listen to your new favorite unis.
1: Annyeong.
0: Annyeong. Hi, everybody.
1: So how was your week?
0: Whew, I feel like, you know, we are so I live in California, and we've been in this spell where it just like never rains ever, which is terrible for fires and drought. And we are starting to get that first bit of winter bluster. So we went to the beach yesterday and collected driftwood and it's raining outside right now. So I'm feeling some winter vibes.
1: You know, it's really funny because I had a writer friend on Twitter that she said something like, You know, you, you always know when it's raining in Los Angeles because everyone always talks about it. And I said, I know I live on the East Coast, okay? But yet I always know when it's raining in LA in <laughs> California because every single person who lives out there takes pictures of the rain as if it's like this. They're like, Oh my God, it's a Bigfoot. You know, I don't yeah. know. It just always makes
0: me laugh. Well, <laughs> I will say, having grown up in the Midwest and lived places where there is weather, Living here is a lot like Groundhog's Day where sometimes I'll be like outside, like, what is weird right now? And then I'm like, oh, it's a cloud because (laughs) like sometimes like a lot of times it's just like perfect blue skies literally every single day. I mean, we have fog, but once the fog burns away, it really just gets
2: kind of repetitively perfect
1: and Amy's in the Midwest, like, I don't want
2: to hear it. <laughs> like, that sounds really rough. We're supposed to get six to nine inches of snow tomorrow. So. And <laughs> of, know, course, so. of course, that is the one day in, like, pandemic his recent pandemic history that I have to leave my house and go somewhere and drive in it. So not looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, safe.
0: No. That's one of my biggest things I don't miss about um, Four Seasons is basically just snow driving. It's pretty <laughs> to look you at, know,
1: but... We're supposed to get a wintry mix as well tomorrow, Oof. and I'm not. I don't. I don't think I'm going to go anywhere. I don't know. Well, I, my son has a dentist appointment, and I like I told my husband to take him. I was like, That's "You can I take have. him, right? I
2: no.
0: have a dentist.
2: I have a dentist appointment. Like, why? Why do Thank we have dentist. those? And I'm sure." <laughs> I'm sure our like seven listeners out there are just loving hearing about my dentist appointment tomorrow. So. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> well, going to the dentist for me being ca- like a like a Catholic is it's like going to confession, I feel like. I show up and I feel cleansed and purged and so I
2: love it when I leave. I do love <laughs> my cleaning when I leave, but like when I get there, I also feel like I have Maybe it's a Jewish thing too. I have like intense shame where they're going to be like, you're flossing sucks. (laughs) Like, Who taught you how to floss? Every six months, it's like, who taught you how to floss?
1: No, it's funny because this is the other, I forget who I was talking to. So in elementary school, we had this, Woman who would always come in and talk to us about brushing our teeth, and she always called the toothbrush Mister Tickler. And she would come in and she'd be like, "Mister Tickler is your best friend." And I, I'm looking back and I'm like, "Who let this woman come in and talk about Mister Tickler to elementary school kids?"
2: Mister Tickler truly is your best friend. I know.
0: <laughs> That could be the name of your next romance novel. Just saying, right? Tickler.
1: Oh my god, the alien tickler.
0: <laughs> he can have four ticklers.
1: <laughs> could have cooped up with my alien tickler. That would be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, who is ready for the second installment of our crash landing on you deep dive? Me.
1: This is, I've been waiting for this. I can't wait to talk about this topic.
0: So, same. So, last episode, we explored why Captain Rhee is the perfect example of an alpha hero done right and how Yoon Seri is an alpha heroine in her own right. Despite the fact that she does appear at first sort of like a damsel in distress, she's very much a boss, literally and figuratively. So today, we're going to take a closer look at the supporting characters, those who offer comic relief and poignancy, as well as some dried Pollock and beer to our star-crossed leads. There's the North Korean soldiers who bravely follow their captain all the way into the heart of evil capitalism, a.k.a. Seoul, and the busybody village ajumas who eventually accept Sari into their crew, even though they think she's probably a spy. So please note that this episode does contain spoilers. If you haven't watched Crash Landing on You!, and you don't want to know the big plot points, proceed with caution. But first, let's start by talking about the second romantic leads, which are another pair of North and South Korean star-crossed lovers. We have Seo Dan, played by Seo Ji-hai, who's Captain Ree's arranged fiancé, a Pyongyang socialite who happens to be the only niece of a politically powerful general, and then there is the South Korean business person and con artist, Goosung Joon, played by Kim Jong-hyun, who has a vendetta against the Yoon family for reasons and tried worming his way into the group first by dating Sari. But when she sees right through him, he chooses her overconfident brother and swindles him out of a large sum of money, which is how he ends up on the run hiding out in North Korea.
1: Okay, so the first topic is about Seo Dan in defense of an unlikable woman. So as the second female lead, Sayo Dan is basically meant to do two things in the plot, pine for the male lead and present a bitchy foil to the lovable female lead. However, while Sayo Dan isn't exactly a warm basket of baby kittens, she has a regality and earnestness about her that is sympathetic and appealing. Please note that our discussion will contain spoilers of this character. In a flashback to Switzerland, we see Yoon se make a comment about Sayo Dan saying quote he could do so much better so do we agree disagree and why
0: for me and this I suppose I am I come out mixed on this like I agree he could do so much better because I think he could find somebody who loves him for his authentic self however I also disagree I I have a problem with this line a little bit because I think for so much of the series, I really like Sao Dan and I think that they really keep her as not getting into these like, quote unquote, bitchy cat fights with the female lead. But I felt like in this case, there was a little bit of slippage in that and that they kind of tried to create some sort of like pitting where like, you know, we have the main character saying something kind of like uncharitable about the second female lead, not knowing much of anything, but just to kind of let the audience know like, ew, we don't like her. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that, yeah, I've got mixed feelings about this statement just because- Yes, obviously they weren't meant to be, but I felt like it was one of the only times the show kind of like devolved into a little bit of cattiness.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I found this really interesting because I feel like when Seo Dan was first presented, I uh, to a degree, I was kind of like, oh no, is this going to turn into like kind of an other woman plot line where she's just nasty? She's just the nasty foil to make the main lead look like an angel. So I was really happy that as we'll talk later that that doesn't happen. So I do I do have thoughts about Sari saying he could do so much better. And part of me wonders if she... When she saw... Because she comments when they're standing next to each other. And Captain... Well, he's Jung Hyuk at that time. He's not Captain Rhee yet. He is just kind of standing there enjoying the scenery and taking pictures. And Sayo Dan is like very focused on him, but he there's a very distinct lack of chemistry. And so I think at the time, I wonder if Sari, that was just a knee jerk reaction to a woman standing next to a handsome man who she thought she would never have. Because at the time, as we learn, Sari was going through a lot during that time. I mean, a lot of she was having a mental health crisis during that time. And I really think that part of her was thinking, you know, I'll never have a man like that. And I think maybe that was her reaction. And maybe maybe she was projecting a little bit.
2: Yeah, I kind of want to piggyback on that, that idea that at that very moment in time, Suri is literally about to jump off the bridge. And he swoops in and and he notices that something is wrong. She's, you know, she's kneeling, she's talking to herself. He notices that something's wrong. And that is why he goes and asks her to take the picture. And that's what I think is so poignant about the scene is that we see her having this sort of emotional crisis and he steps in and saves her from it. And I think he knows that he's saving her from something. He knows that something is going on. And for me, that was that sort of immediate connection between them, even though they were strangers. And so when she says he could do so much better, to me, that spoke to the fact that here they are two strangers and they already have this sort of kinship that is going to continue to grow. And we and we know because we know them in the present as well that this is part of their past. And again, going back to what, I'm not sure which one of you was saying it, but that Zhang Hyuk is taking pictures of Switzerland and Dan is doing nothing but looking at him. And so we definitely see that disconnect between them, that she came there to see him. He doesn't even remember her when he first sees her because it's been seven years or something like that. And, yeah, so I don't, I didn't take it as being catty from Suri, but I did take it, yes, as the writers trying to sort of pit them against each other. And I'm glad that it didn't go any further than that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I've always kind of thought that maybe that comment was less about Dan and more about Suri kind of projecting her own self-confidence issues at that time. But that just leads into what we we're talking about before, that there was this fate, you know, that we learn later, which I think is so cool and prevalent in K-dramas. What is something that you appreciated about Seo-dan?
2: So I think she could have been inserted into the plot simply to foil the romance of the leads. And she wasn't. I love that she wasn't just there to try and break up Suri and jong Hook, but that she had her own arc and that she was able to grow as a character and be somebody totally different at the end of the show than she was at the beginning of the drama. And I totally appreciated that. She could have been a very flat character. She could have been very one-dimensional. And I think that they gave her sort of a full circle to grow. And I I really enjoyed that. And yes, in the beginning, when she first entered the show, I had the same reaction of, oh, no, what are we going to do with this? And by the end, I was rooting for her. And I think that that speaks to a really well-written character and well-executed by the actress as well.
0: I think um, something that I appreciated about Seo Dan is she probably has one of the best RBFs I've ever seen. So Resting Bitch Face, I loved it. It was just something about her like icy, cool gaze really warmed my heart. I just really appreciated that she never felt like she had to be like this sweetly, nice, likable person. And, you know, she is a little bit prickly and that's okay. And I think that even though she can be outwardly prickly when she wants to be, and she doesn't feel like she has to be overly kind or impress others, like we see her interacting with so-called friends in North Korea who are all pretty backstabby and unkind. And she can kind of just like navigate that with some of her armor. But I also really liked it that she could be really warm in unexpected ways too. Like when Seongjun gets sick and she makes him the porridge, that was all like really sweet. I felt like and kind of like a beginning of a turning point for them. And I felt like her revealing that while she very much can be like she's not the spunkiest, perkiest, happiest person on the block, right? But that doesn't mean that she doesn't have depth and a capacity to love. And I know a lot of people like that in my life. And I always really appreciate those people as well. Like, I feel like you, what you see is what you get a lot of the time.
1: I love Dan. I mean, I just need to say that she was honestly one of my favorite characters in the entire show. I was rooting for her. As soon as the show started to give her a little bit more depth, I was all in. All in for her storyline. I was really excited to see where the show took her and I wasn't disappointed. Probably one of my favorite characteristics about her was sort of a, can be a common characteristic of, of, of a cold character. Is that once she did warm up to certain characters, she was all in and she was very loyal. And that is one thing I think she really. I mean, she was even really loyal. She was loyal to her mom, and she was also really loyal to Captain Reed, even when she knew that she was engaged to him. So she was she stayed loyal to him for the ten years that they were, you know, engaged from a distance. Ten um, years, <laughs> yeah, right? It was that's right. Ten years, right? That's how long they were engaged. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Okay, okay. So I love that, and I do feel like she did a lot in order to make her mom like make her mom happy and not that she was and she was doing it from a kind way I really think she knew her mom who was a widow was very concerned about Dan's future she just wanted Dan to be happy and so Dan I think wanted to be happy because she wanted to assure her mom that she was going to be okay and to a degree I think Dan was a little bit in denial like I can be happy with Captain Rhea I can I really can and it wasn't until she realized that that wasn't going to happen that She found an alternative way to to be happy. But I felt like once she warmed up to Sung Jun, she was all in. And the fact that she, I mean, I had to tell you, after he died and she said all she wanted was revenge with this RBF resting bitch face on. Oh, be still my heart. I loved her. I wanted to marry her then. I thought she was fantastic, you know, because she's like, yeah, I was like cheering for her. So I just really loved how they humanized her, the story arc they gave her. And the fact that she was kind of this cold uh, woman that had a lot of depth, I just thought she was fantastic.
0: Yeah, total marriage material. Like that is somebody that you would want to have in your corner no matter what.
1: Right? I mean, she is like the ultimate like wingman or not Mm. wingman. What's the word I want to say? Ride or die. Yes, she is the ultimate ride or die. Absolutely. And so I think that that was just one of my favorite things about her. I just felt like if I got her to like me, well, actually, I kind of have a best friend who's like that. A lot of people think she's like she can be kind of cold. She can be exact. But man, she is loyal to me and I'm loyal to her. And so maybe that's it. Maybe I saw a little bit of my best friend and Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, so in honor of our badass bitch queen, Sayo Dan, we are going to recommend some romance novels that feature other badass bitch queens.
2: Of course, I'm going to recommend a YA book because that's what I do. And it's one that I actually read over the summer that I think fits in great. And it's called If I'm Being Honest by Emily Wibberly and Austin Sigmund Broca. It's a YA romance that is a retelling of Taming of the Shrew. And the main character, Cameron, has a crush on this guy. And she gets her chance at a school function to make her move with this guy. But when she's alone with him somebody else bursts into the room that they're in and it's another girl from school who's crying about something and Cameron basically lays her out with words like she's horrible to the extent where the guy she's crushing on flat out calls her a bitch and she decides that she needs to change she needs to she needs to tame herself they're reading Tame Me the truth in class she needs to tame herself and become a different person and throughout the book She learns a lot about herself. She learns a lot about how she projects herself to others. But what I really liked is that she decided at the end, okay, I can be nicer and I can get to know people better and care about them more, but I don't want to be tamed. If you don't like me for me, then we're not right. And of course, she doesn't end up with the same person that she liked at the beginning of the book. So it is some great growth. And she goes into this idea of taming herself, but then realizes that she shouldn't have to change. She can be nice. She could be nicer, but she shouldn't have to change exactly who she is to get somebody else to love her. And she learns that through somebody else falling for her instead.
1: Oh, I love that. I want to read it now. It's
2: really good. It's really
1: good.
0: I've read it and I love it. So that was a great choice. For me, I thought I couldn't think of a better badass bitch queen than Nora Sutherland, who is the heroine of the original Sinners series by Tiffany Reese. And uh, you can start that series with the siren. And so I realized last... I think it was last time or the time before maybe our debut episode, I had recommended Beach Read, which was a book about writing. And The Siren is very much a book about writing as well. So Nora Sutherland is a famous erotic uh, writer, and she has finally written a book that feels very personal to her. And like a very demanding, uptight British editor has the book. And basically they have six weeks to whip this into shape. And as the book process goes there's a lot of like highly charged sexual content it comes out that she's a dominatrix into the BDSM scene but she also is a submissive to one of my favorite fictional heroes of all time the priest, Father Soren, And so yeah, there. it's definitely not a book for the faint hearted. And the series is not for the faint hearted. But I do think there's a lot of emotional growth and a heroine who very much is her own person and um, stays true to herself.
1: So that book actually has one of my favorite lines of all time. One of the characters says, don't write what you know, write what you want to know. And I think about that, I think every single time I write. I just love that line so much. So that's a good recommendation in my opinion. So the book I'm going to recommend is Rock Chick Regret by Kristen Ashley. This book starts with the most unlikable heroine I think I've ever read. She's even in the blurb described as an ice princess. And I always love when there's a character where, I mean, I just love when they get into the backstory of why a character can be so cold. And I mean, one of the biggest reasons is that she grew up with a drug lord father. She's always been surrounded by Snakes, basically, not real snakes, but you know what I mean. And she's always kind of had to be very cautious of what she says. And the hero actually is an undercover cop that she doesn't know it at the time, but he's uh, obviously he's undercover, but he's working to take her father down. And she's very, very cold to him, but she is she's drawn to him, but she's very cold to him because she knows it can't work. She can't have a relationship with at the time her one of her father's underlings and But when her father is brought down, she's basically left alone, and she is attacked, and when she does, the only person she can think to go to is the hero who is a cop and now she knows he's a cop and she goes to him because she doesn't really have anyone else she's been left all alone then there's this whole growth as she recovers physically that she kind of learns how to trust other people because she's never really been around ever been around people that love her and she kind of has to learn how to love and it's she almost has this like childlike innocence in a way because she's almost like relearning everything like emotions and everything. And I just really love it. And the heroine has always stuck with me through other books I've read.
0: And now it's time for our favorite
2: segment, our K recommendation of the week. And this week, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite places to get K Drama merch, which is the Hallyu Magic Shop on Etsy. All you have to do is Google Hallyu Magic Shop, H A L L Y U Magic Shop, and that'll be the first link that pops up. As soon as I finished watching Crash Landing on You, Chloe, I needed some Chloe merch. And particularly mugs, because I am a collector of kitschy mugs. I don't really care about the mugs that go with my dishes. I don't use those ever. You can have them if you want them. But I love collecting mugs. And so I found Hallyu Magic Shop and ordered two Crash Landing on You mugs. We'll show pictures on Instagram. And not only did I get my amazing mugs, but I also got some freebies I'm wearing right now my You Magic Shop bracelet that says, if it's not Korean, I don't want your drama, which is totally relatable. In addition to that, I also got a mini Polaroid of all of Captain Ree's North Korean men when they first show up in South Korea with Kim Soo Hyun in his cameo as Green Tracksuit Guy. And that is on my refrigerator right now and my kids think it's hysterical. But You Magic Shop on Etsy for all of your K-drama needs. Highly recommend And just
0: a reminder, we do post all of our K recommendations on Instagram. Go to at podcast, follow us, and you will be able to get all the behind the scenes outtakes for the show. You'll be able to get recommendations, and you'll also get to see reviews for different K dramas that we're currently watching. So make sure to do that and to hit that subscribe button.
2: Okay. Gu Sung Joon. Please note, again, this entire section is going to be filled with spoilers on this character and on the show itself. But you wouldn't be here if you didn't already love Crash Landing on You, so we are going to proceed. Fun fact, the actor who plays Goosung Jun didn't know that he was going to die in the drama. I read an interview where when he got to the end of episode 15, he asked the director if he was going to die. And the director said, probably not. His relationship has only just started with Dan. Crash Landing on You was a live shoot production as opposed to a pre-produced drama like Descendants of the Sun. This means it was also being written as it went. And that often the development of the drama can be tailored in response to audience reviews for better or for worse. Live shoot versus pre-produced shows warrant an entire episode in my opinion, but it was fascinating to see the story as well plotted as Chloe was being written while it was up and going. So here's our question. Were you satisfied with Gu Sung Joon's fate in line with Chloe's overall conclusion? Why or why not?
1: I thought a lot about this in regards to, let's say, like American movies and American dramas. And so many of our shows kill women to further a man's plot line or character arc. I mean, I can name a whole bunch that do that. And it's always something that I love those movies, but that's always one thing that really bugged me. Like, why do we always have to kill the woman to, to further the man's, you know, plot line. So I love that this show didn't do that. So additionally, I found this to be unique because his death didn't only further Dan's plot line. It really gave his plot a conclusion that didn't necessarily just have to do with death. A big part of his storyline was that he didn't think anyone would cry for him when he died. He didn't really have... His parents anymore. His parents had both passed. He didn't really have friends. He'd, you know, spent much of his adult life just working to exact revenge on Yoon Suri's family. So he didn't really have anyone. And that was a big part of his storyline was he didn't think anyone would care when he died. And so the fact that he died and Dan mourned him greatly. I felt like that was just such an interesting way that how his death In a way, furthered his like character arc. It was just really interesting, and I love that because of his death, she found Dan found her confidence. She found confidence in herself and her singledom because of the way Soon Jun loved her. Because it was just such a pure way. I mean, he really loved her for her, and I'm not sure she realized that that could happen to her.
0: I have mixed feelings. I really don't like when my faves die on shows, even if it like fits into the arc of the character. So, no, I didn't want him to die and I wasn't expecting him to die. And I didn't really think he was dead and that he was dead. And I was like, man. But then also I was like, oh, yeah, this is like another North and South Korean romance. And obviously, there's many reasons why this isn't going to work out super well. Like Dan's not going to leave her mom and her uncle behind like in the regime. And, you know, he's basically like hiding out and like a wanted person. So as a writer, I could see like there's not many places to take this relationship. But I did really wish I could sprinkle magic fairy dust on it and keep them
2: alive. I love that you mentioned that you you didn't think he would really be dead. And I was the exact same way because how many times did we think that Jung Hook was dead and that, that Suri was dead and they weren't dead. And then he was really dead and there was no coming back from it. And I sobbed. I sobbed for this character that I didn't even think that I cared about when I first started watching the show. And then I sobbed for him and I sobbed for Dan. And I do think that there really was no other way to end their story with them both knowing that they were loved, kind of thing, because he could have he could have left. He was at the airport, he could have left and he could have been free per se. He would have been on the run until probably the end of time because Suri's brother was never gonna give up on finding him and punishing him for the money that he stole. So he would have been on the run forever. And instead he goes back and he he does something selfless and he goes back for her, knowing that that's the end of the road for him. He wasn't going to make his flight. There was no way after that. I don't know if he planned on dying. I think he knew that that was a risk, but I also don't know had he lived, what like, like you said, Leah, what would they do? There's no way to neatly tie up that story without him dying. So he died knowing that he was loved and Dan knew that she was loved and knew what it was like to be loved and no longer wanted to settle for the arrangement with captain reed and so i think it brought both of their stories full circle and i appreciated that even though i was ugly crying while it happened
1: i completely agree and i feel like you said that you said my thoughts so much better than i could formulate because i can i just completely agree and i will say the way he died it gave him a chance to be a really cool hero like i have to admit
2: (laughs) that That, that scene was badass it that really scene was. was so
1: badass. He's got this like, you know, pump shotgun like, chur, chur, like. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I love it because again, I love everything over the top. That's always my favorite. So when he came in and he's just there's like ten guys who can't seem to hit him, but he can hit everyone with a shotgun. Although they do. They do foreshadow that, which again, that's a whole nother episode. We can talk about foreshadowing and K dramas. They do foreshadow that he's a good shot. They show him early. And I remember thinking, "Why are they showing him shoot? Like
2: Skeet shooting clay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Skeet. Why are they <laughs> showing this? And then I'm like, Oh, okay. So, okay. So, so that at least helped. Cause I was kind of like, yeah, how is he that good of a shot with a shotgun? Like those things I've never shot a gun, but I'm pretty sure it's kind of hard to hit. Anyway.
2: I was going to say, I thought it was epic from the airport on. Like he, He's on the phone, he hears that they have her. he tears up his ticket and gets in the car and goes and and yeah then busts into that warehouse with the with the shotgun and that was that was just it was epic i you know not that I you know want to see anybody in a shootout, but if I have to that's I, I want it to be a romantic shootout right
0: if Opa, he, yeah if
2: Opa's going out, you want the mic drop <laughs> yeah
0: <exactly>. Opa out. <laughs>
1: and you know and the thing is he died knowing she was crying for him like he died knowing someone is gonna cry for him and that was everything that was kind of you know what i mean so i loved it i did i mean i mean trust me i bawled my eyes out and i didn't want to happen and i kept expecting him to pop up and then he didn't but it all still felt okay because dan had this inner strength that she mourned him, she got revenge and then she turned into this like super bad like she was even more badass and like at the very end. I would watch another whole season of her.
0: Yeah, like when she puts the shades on and just does that like walk off it kind of reminded me of the end of Mad Men too when you see like Peggy. I don't know if any of you watch Mad Men, but like Peggy at the end with her sunglasses like holding the crazy octopus painting and a cigarette out of her mouth and it was just the same thing of like you know character kind of coming into her power I guess you put on shades when you come into your power and you that's, yeah that's I love brilliant. that coming
1: into her power that's such a good way to put it I love that
0: so something else that I wanted to talk about was how the show had it allowed all of the characters to kind of exhibit a sense of real humanity and so we I mean I would kind of expect that for like South Korea but like I was really touched by how it extended that into North Korea and saw it a bit as a repudiation of othering enemies, othering being that phenomenon where, you know, a group will attribute negative characteristics to people or groups that are different than them, that us versus them way of thinking. And basically that process boils down to looking at others and saying they're not like me or they're not one of us. And, you know, we see the show kind of do that and then reconcile it and go from othering to humanizing. And I don't think that they did it in a way that it excused the North Korean regime or sugarcoated the fact that it is like a repressive state and there's multiple human rights abuses. But I felt like it really leaned in hard on the fact that it's very much also a place where average citizens are trying to just live their lives. And and that when we see in the show, relationships are established, trust is built, true connections are created. And that's not just happening between the romantic leads or the second romantic leads, but also the ensemble cast. And I also really enjoyed that there's a nod to the fact that North Korea or South Korea There is still a shared understanding and culture and friendship that's alive, despite the fact that the two nations are still technically in an active state of war. And so while there isn't like a strong overt political push towards reunification, I felt like it really addressed the human cost of this ongoing conflict. So that was like my thinkiness there. And given that this was our gateway K-drama, what's one way that crash landing on you surprised or made you curious about any aspects of North or South Korea in relation to the geopolitical divide on their peninsula?
1: What I find interesting is that I do think American media's view of North Korea is basically like... Look what happened to Otto Warmbier. You know what I mean? That's And while that obviously is a tragedy, I do feel like our media doesn't in any way humanize just, the, again, the people who just live there and are trying to live their lives. And YouTube's a great resource in that respect because there are a lot of North Korean defectors who are posting their stories and they're posting them in a way where they're explaining what happened or how they defected, but they're also talking about just their dreams now that they don't live there anymore. And it really humanizes the people that are there as opposed to the, as well as the people who defected. And I really felt strongly about wanting to, in my mind, humanize those people. And it was really nice to be able to have that opportunity. And I, you know, I actively sought out interviews from North Koreans after that.
2: Yeah, just like you, I was Googling as I was watching, because I I wanted to know, is this an accurate portrayal? Like how much did they know? And, and they, you know, and and from what I read, they did the best that they could with like what you're saying, Megan, like with stories from defectors and, and stuff like that. And I liked going back to that humanization aspect of it, that it's not just, the regime over there, but it's everybody else who lives under that regime. They're not the enemy. That's just their life. And so what I loved about getting to know Captain Ree's men and getting to know the Ajumas in the military village was that it humanized as much as it could, right? Because that's not obviously the whole, the whole country, but it humanized the people who are there who have no intention of leaving, you know, even Captain Ree's men who came to Seoul to help bring him home, they loved their time in Seoul. All of the sauna scenes were some of my favorites. Them at the restaurants and all the different things that they do, you know, playing video games and stuff like that. But still, when it came time for them to go back to North Korea... None of them tried to defect. And it's this also so it's also this loyalty going on, I think, as well. Loyalty to their country. That's the only country they've ever known. And loyalty to the people in it as well. Like they they knew that they owed it to Captain Ree to go home. They knew that they owed it to Siri to go home because that would keep her safe. Yeah, I do think it was just. Super, super humanizing for me to fall for all these people who are in this country that I have no access to, and to see that the drama itself, which is a South Korean drama, doing that humanization aspect of it and not trying to other, but instead trying to unify instead.
0: For me, I really appreciate when you can see a country reflect on itself. That gives me so much more insight in many ways to what's really happening as opposed to just reading like headlines or news. I feel like seeing how cultures tell their own stories really does kind of give you a more accurate, you know, humanizing view of the reality on the ground. And so I'm not saying that, like, I'm getting my news from crash landing on you. I guess I'm trying to say that I felt, though, that, yes, it did try to wrestle really, I thought, well, between the fact that they are a country still divided And how much pain, like when we see the abandoned house, and, you know, they reflect on the people who live there in the DMZ, I felt like there were lots of moments like that, that just touched on that pain and loss, you know, up until World War, the end of World War Two, it was one country. And North Korea is such a complicated country. And for the US, how we view it, you know, it's either a spoof on South Park, making fun of, you know, the leadership, or it's the news being like, especially if you live in the West Coast, like me, like, oh, like, are we gonna see a nuclear bomb come from North Korea? And so I just appreciated a lot. Yeah, thinking about North Korea, not just as either a joke, or a country that like, could trigger the end of the world, essentially, and more, more of a, of a place that, you know, yeah, where real people are existing. And it made me just a lot more interested to learn about the Korean war as well, because I feel like that is a war that happened not long ago. And as much as it obviously is like still very real for people living in that place, like for the Americans who came and fought in it. And like, you know, obviously like we're a big part of like making that war happen. It's very much a forgotten war sandwiched between World War II and Vietnam. And so I appreciated getting a chance to learn a little bit more about our involvement and everything that led up to that war happening. So who is one ensemble character in the show that you'd want to hang out with and why? So
1: I said that what I really want to do is I want to eat clams with the soldiers because that was one of my favorite scenes. I really, really loved when they're all standing around. And again, at the time, Ciri's like still trying to play the role of like picky princess. Like she's like, I only eat. That there's a certain seafood that she will only She's she, she didn't really want to eat these clams. and They convinced her to. And she loved it. And then they were like, yo, you got to pour, I think it was soju in the clam shell. And she's like, no, I only eat my shellfish with, and it was like a wine, I think. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 you got to eat this. And so she like pours it in and then she loves it. And I just, the whole camaraderie of that scene was just so fun. Like, I just, I just want to stand around the fire and-
2: I would join you. That would be awesome. Um, For mine, I put that I want to have drinks with Nawal Suk, played by Kim Sun-young, who I also just saw in her private life and is such a different character, which has made me love her so much more in her range of acting. But in Crash Landing on You, she is a fantastic drunk because she tells all the secrets and all the gossip. And so I just want to have drinks with her and have her tell me all the secrets
0: she was so funny i really love that that's the uh the chairman right the chairman of the village Mm -hmm. right chairman yeah yeah i loved her for me it was soldier kim ju-muk the north korean soldier who secretly binge watches k-dramas of course (laughs) and right from the beginning i love like when you see like Sari is like crash landed into North Korea and she's getting chased by Captain Rhee and the other soldiers. And as she's like running by the guard tower, you just see him like sitting there and he's like not looking out the window at what's happening outside at all. He's just sitting there staring at the, computer just like sobbing and I was like you know what at this point like I saw that my rewatch I'm like I feel you that would be me and I would love to sit and just like watch shows with him he was so pure and I really love that Sari had that moment in Seoul with him where she set him up to meet Choi Ji-woo the South Korean actress and he was able to just like completely melt into that fanboy moment it was so precious also, I guess going like staying on this ensemble theme, what's an ensemble focus scene that stuck with you the most since finishing the show and why?
1: So I'm always a sucker for female friendships and female camaraderie. And I really love how towards the end, all the women from the village stuck up for a man bulk's wife when the villain Chol Chol Gang's crew uh, posed as soldiers or national security. They told her, you need to come with us. Your husband was in an accident, which was a total lie. They just wanted to essentially use her to get Manbok to do their bidding. They tried to take her and her their son. And the women of the village were really smart. And they were able to figure out that these soldiers were not who they said they were. And they chased them away. And they said, you're not taking anyone from our village. Like We protect our own. And because of that, they probably saved her life and her sons. And it's just, that scene stuck with me. I mean, I cried really hard at that scene because again, any type of, especially where they live in North Korea uh, and the fact, you know, how many rights, you know, women have the fact that they were like, we're just going to stick up for each other no matter what. And I just, I loved it so much.
2: That was a really powerful scene. I loved that one. And I I, I just, I, I loved all of them. My favorite scene was after Suri was already gone and back in South Korea and recovered from her gunshot wound and recovered from sepsis from her gunshot wound. (laughs) 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 Because it's not over until it's over. This is right towards the end. And it is when Dan's mom comes back to the village because this is now Dan and Captain Rhee are done. Like we're, we're really towards the end here. And Dan's mom comes to the village to bring them products from Suri's choice that Suri has branded with their pictures on it. And I thought that was just so touching. So these jars of skin cream and on every box was a different one of their, not an actual photo, but like a drawing, their likeness. And it was just it was beautiful. and they were so touched that that Suri still remembered them after going home. and it it just shows that that connection, even though, there is an actual physical divide as far as seeing each other, that that connection wasn't broken.
1: I cried at that scene. It was, re- I think, well, that whole episode, I think I was just crying on and off, but yeah, I, I cried. I thought that, that was that was
0: a really touching moment. A scene that really stuck with me was in the chicken shop in South Korea when the North Korean soldiers are with Captain Ree and Siri and there's a little bit of bickering happening between the soldiers and Siri and then all of a sudden the soccer game comes on between Korea and Japan and again it was just like that nice subtle nod to unity and solidarity between like the North and South Korea and that you know, they may be enemies, but they together can come together to hate on Japan. And that really felt like a nice like dunking moment, basically, where it's like, you know, Japan put Korea through an awful lot. And so yeah, I appreciated like that moment where, you know, they both turn from like arguing to each other to like cheering together collectively to win the game.
1: That was a really cool moment. I love that a lot, too. It, it was like very, it's just very heartwarming. It was really cool to see them all. And the fact that Suri was having such a great time, too. And that was, I think, and she'd like never really been that type of person when she was in South Korea.
0: On a less serious note, but still incredibly important to the point that I think we need to do like a whole show on this at some point. What was one of the biggest food cravings you had watching this show? I mean, we live in America. It's not like I can't get fried
2: chicken,
1: you know, but i <laughs> I specifically want that South Korean fried chicken. I mean, they eat it. They they ate it all the time. And every time they bit into it, it looked so juicy. <laughs> and so crispy. I mean, they made it look so good. Like, it's just that I'm watching, or when I was watching Goblin, they kept eating at Subway. And they they made it look good. And I'm like, no offense to Subway. but Or maybe, should I say, like, Slubway? Slub. <laughs> but I don't want to eat it. Slubway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we don't wanna we don't want Slubway coming for us. So
1: Slubway coming for us. But I I don't know, they don't make Slubway look that good to me because I
0: (laughs) I think that um Frub Frey was also in Crash Landing on you though, because I had the same experience in watching it too, where I'm like, it looks so delicious. Like whoever's doing the product placement for that company. Like Jeff's right. kiss to you because I don't know what happened, but in watching that, I was like, "Oh my god, I need to go get a uh, yeah the right here." Subway <laughs>
2: sandwich. Slabway. <laughs> yeah, no. When 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 the when the North Korean men are in South Korea their first day, Manbok is spying on people eating in subway trying to figure out where Siri lives. So mm. yes, love weight, but olive chicken. Yeah. And I also really wanted some of that North Korean
0: ajuma good, good kimchi because that looked really awesome when they were making it. So not going to lie, but the, and yeah, fried chicken is not a go-to for me whatsoever, but again, there was something about the fried chicken and, in that show I and did. the beer like the beer and fried chicken combo really like I would just watch it being like I really want to eat fried chicken and I never ever ever eat fried chicken.
1: Yeah, I mean I I I same. I really don't eat fried chicken and I can but I can get it easily if I want to, but they made it look just stinking delicious
0: yeah it was no uh ray ref c chicken or whatever we would do to <laughs> Frontucky <laughs> Fr- fried chicken <laughs> oh my god oh, gosh. oh my
2: god please don't sue us <laughs> we don't have sponsors but we also don't want to be sued by people <laughs> who, who we're like unsponsoring yeah fried chicken would have been my top choice but because we can't all say fried chicken even though we all want the fried chicken and beer um i wanted all their snacks with the sauna particularly the hard-boiled eggs the sauna eggs that were you know soy sauce <laughs> soy sauce infused eggs i've and been making those
0: I- actually and they are delightful i have to do Wait, that. what are you so. making the just hard Sigh. boiling eggs and like marinating them in like double fermented soy sauce and eating them like after 24 hours. It's an amazing snack. What? Yeah, it's like I umami know. heaven.
2: <gasps>
0: I need to do that.
2: That's oh why, that's goodness. why when they're eating the eggs, they're brown, even when they're peeled because they're, yeah, those yes. are sauna eggs.
1: I didn't realize that. Oh man, I love hard boiled eggs. Like I can eat like a lot, like we...
0: <laughs> yeah, I can pack away a hard-boiled <laughs> egg or two, is what you're
1: saying right. <laughs> no, did you ever see Cool Hand Luke, where well, he's like, I could eat 50 eggs, sorry, that's like a family thing Well, my I like, grew up watching Cool Hand Luke and with uh, Paul Newman, where he's like, I could eat 50 eggs, I was going to say, it sounds like guest on yeah, he's in the prison, I mean, it's a black and white movie he's in a prison, he, they dare to eat 50 eggs, anyway, that's what I was thinking of, but yeah, I, I'm going to, ha- I I want that recipe or whatever, I'll look it up I'm going to yeah. make my eggs
0: it's really easy and it's really good. Just remember to peel the egg after you boil it because it's yeah, not gonna I mean, permeate the shell. <laughs>
1: okay. I mean, we're probably gonna have a whole episode coming up on food the Korean product placements because it's it's amazing. I mean, I just love how they they drink from the bottle so the label is really clear and they then like, ah, like they like love it. It's so tasty.
0: Yeah, I don't I find it all really endearing. So Me too. I love it. Well, what K-drama do you have on deck next to watch? So what is something that you are looking forward to watching, like, you know, in the next couple of weeks?
2: I actually, because I'm I'm in between dramas, I took a break for Bridgerton, and now I'm back to dramas. I just started today Hotel Del Luna, the first episode, because I had been reading about it, and it is about a hotel for souls on their way to the afterlife. And it is run by the female lead. She runs the Hotel de Luna and has been for um, generations. So I don't quite know her situation. She seems kind of like a goblin because she's not dead, but she's also not fully part of the living, and she runs this hotel. And because of an accidental trespass by the hero's father when the hero was a kid, the father is a petty thief, and he falls down a flight of concrete steps outside and wanders around and finds his hotel, not knowing that he's laying on the pavement dying, and somehow makes it into the hotel while he's not already dead, and you're not supposed to be able to do that. And the hotel manager, the female lead, finds him, and he begs her to let him go and she says i will let you live if you promise me that in 20 years you will give your son to me and he will come manage my hotel and so that is how the hero and the heroine meet is the son is grown up and he's like a hotelier and he's been getting these birthday gifts every year, reminding him that he has to go to the Hotel de Luna when he's whatever age, 29, 30 or whatever. He doesn't really believe it. His father keeps telling him it's true. And long story short is it's true. And he has to go work at this hotel because it was a bargain made with whatever kind of being she is. That's all episode one, basically. So...
1: I'm in the middle, well, kind of towards the beginning of Touch Your Heart, which Leah talked about that last episode. But basically, there's an actress who has kind of fallen out of favor with the public, and she really wants to land a lawyer role. And so the studio decides to send her to work for a lawyer for three months so that she can study. And of course, the hero is is this lawyer. And I really love him because he's very just very like left brained, very doesn't isn't great with social cues. So he reminds me a lot of my husband and me because I'm very right brained and flighty and all of that. And that's kind of her. And then he's, you know, this like logical or whatever. So I'm really enjoying the banter. And the heroine is honestly just stinking adorable. And it's very funny. And every episode just kind of gives me like warm fuzzies which I love so I'm not sure I think next I might do I think I want to want to do maybe some sort of paranormal
0: so I might try tale of the nine tails so Megan and I are kind of tracking similar at the moment and that I am I'm further down the track I'm almost done with touch your heart I think the only reason I didn't finish it is because I did pull over to Watch Bridgerton, which Smidgerton, I should say, so I don't get into trouble when I (laughs) say it it was okay, but
2: it wasn't a K drama. (laughs) Agreed, agreed. Smidgerton was a smidge, not. Yeah, Smidgerton, Smidgerton. Are you guys
0: making fun of my sheets? You I'm might. not actually <laughs> and you should say Sheets is a restaurant. We're not actually making fun of like your bed sheets because if no. you don't live in Pennsylvania, well, I don't think it's
1: actually like a gas station. <laughs> okay, well
0: I don't know if anyone knows about yeah. If you're it's looking to this in Oregon right now, they might be like, What's wrong with Megan Sheets?
1: It's just funny because everything it Sheets is like, it starts with an SH. So you get like schmuffins and schmeggles, and that's just the way it is. So when she said sh- <laughs> smidgerton.
0: It made smidgerton. Know. And I also did do, like, I circled back. I had this like goblin inks knowing that Megan was watching it. So I went back and watched the behind the scenes finally. I've been saving that. Also delightful. But I do think, yeah, I'm kind of feeling Tale of the Ninetales next to, you know, Lee Dong Wook is... A joy to me to watch and I think he's really fun and hits me weird because I think he's like objectively a beautiful like ethereal being but I feel like he just is also hits me in this like really nice dorky weird spot so I'm sure that you know in real life I'm sure he's wonderful but like with the characters he plays, he does like that awkward dorkiness really well. And so I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. And then Kim Bum, who was in Boys Over Flowers as one of the ensemble characters I, you know, I had mixed feelings about, but I liked him as an actor. And so I'm kind of curious to see him because I guess he's kind of like the bratty brother in the show. So I always love a bratty brother. I'm a Loki fan. So yeah, I think Tale of the Nine Tales.
2: Tale of the Nine-Tailed. Tale
0: of the Nine-Tailed. Sorry. Tale of the 9 tails Instead of
2: oh, the, tail, I'm the tails
0: flopping right. many tails. It's like Mr. <laughs> Tickler in <and> the Nine-Tails.
1: <laughs> Stop it. Don't, don't bring Mr. Tickler into
0: this. <laughs> Mister, can we get Mr. Tickler just to spot for us moving forward?
2: <laughs> I, am, I am never going to look at my toothbrush the same. It's Mr. Tickler. Yeah, Lee
1: Dong-Wook, I don't, I mean, he is just, he's art. I mean, in, in every scene, he's so... It's interesting, because in... Sorry to talk... I know I bring up K-pop, and they're like, oh my god, Megan, but K-pop's really interesting because in a K-pop group, there's always different you know specialties. And sometimes there are certain members who they're literally most I mean they can sing and dance too but they're really there for the visual it means visuals means it's code for like they're freaking beautiful okay there's always like some really beautiful men and women that are considered the visuals of the group and I just feel like Lee Dong Wook is like the visual in whatever whatever show he's in he's just beauty you know I'm just I'm kind of obsessed with him so and I and I really do like the characters plays that I've seen so far so yes let's let's go all in with the box shifter next.
0: Okay, I'm really looking forward to that. And then to tease the next show, we are going to be talking a little bit, you know, as we're discussing, you know, how we want like our different shows to look, you know, we do have definitely more deep dives coming, but we thought we would just pull over and have an episode that kind of addressed the K-drama fandom from appreciation, but also looking at as like, you know, being aware of like appropriation as well, especially being that, you know, we're three white, ladies from America. Yeah. So for the next show, we will be having a conversation just about fandom appreciation and how we're trying to do good work to separate that appreciation from actual all-out cultural appropriation, which is icky and something we certainly don't want to be doing.
2: I think that wraps it up. So should we say it, everybody?
1: Annyeong!
2: Young, Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind the scenes photos, and of course, pics of our favorite opas and anis. Annyeong!